This is Werewolf the Podcast, a podcast about the role-playing game, Werewolf the Apocalypse. D20 Radio, your gamer's role. Have you heard of high-level games? If you're a content creator looking to make your dream a reality, you need high-level games. High-level games does layout, editing, and development support such as Kickstarter and more. Even if you're not a creator and just want to enhance your game with exciting new supplements, go to highlevelgames.ca and check out Dark New England for V20. High-level games. We want to help you level up your role-playing game. Highlevelgames.ca Welcome to another episode of Werewolf the Podcast. I am your host, Josh Heath. Today, we're doing something special. We do not do a ton of interviews on this podcast, but today we are talking about something new, fresh, and exciting. We are talking about the apocalyptic record. Getting an opportunity to talk to a couple of folks that wrote on the apocalyptic record which is on kickstarter right now or at least it will be in the future when this releases if you haven't yet please go and check out our patreon uh, we have a patreon that you can find at werewolf the podcast and you can join that get involved with our discord server and start talking about werewolf and uh enjoying all the awesome wonderful arguments uh or if you want to get involved in you know hear different things uh, like our Galliard Rants episodes and things like that, you can find those there as well. I am less than on top of my game this morning because it is very, very early for me because I wanted to make sure that we could connect with as many folks across the timelines as we could. I am talking to at least two variants today. I am talking to Leith Shields and Michaela Masala. How are both of you doing today? Doing very well. Thank you, Josh. Thank you for having us. I'm doing well, Josh. Thank you. And thank you for getting up so early for us. <laughs> Not a problem. It was exciting to me. My alarm went off, which I usually don't have an alarm. And I was like, wow, I am awake. It is 530 in the morning. What is happening? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm talking about werewolves. So that's okay. That is always an exciting thing. So Apocalyptic Record is an interesting book. It is effectively a large book of fiction looking at the werewolf the apocalypse line and saying it has been 20 plus years since we had like an actual like adjustment of meta plot or any plots really that are you know um, not the agnostic sort of meta plot elements of werewolf the 20th anniversary edition books so i guess my first question is other than that what is this book and what sort of things is it going to do for fans of this property? So thanks. It's a great question. Uh, Apocalyptic Record um, is the capstone of the Werewolf 20th anniversary line. So this is this is going to tie up everything we've seen before. Um, obviously, it won't tie up everything. That would take a book thousands upon thousands of pages long, but it tries to bring it all together and uh, set the world up with uh, a bunch of story hooks, what may be, what could happen, what's coming next, um, and then leave the line in such a strong position that our fans will love and then 
have us ready and and eager for you know uh, werewolf the apocalypse fifth edition which will be coming out at some point in the future uh from paradox itself um but yeah this was our opportunity to to pull everything together and to kind of weave those metaplot threads and just leave a book that is dripping with with uh story hooks with ideas with uh, a massive um, meta plot chapter at the end, which kind of goes through every book and pulls the key points out. So yeah, it is it is kind of everything for for every fan of Werewolf the Apocalypse is what I hope. Yeah, uh, the thing is that um, the Apocalyptic Records take some cue from uh, Beckett's Jihad Diary, but rather than being a whole book uh, from more or less a single perspective, as was Beckett's. Uh, here the stories are come from different sources. Uh, we thought uh, that uh, the Garu Nation is uh, a living uh, uh, reality, so uh, we wanted to depict the many different voices. Uh, some are reliable, some <laughs> less reliable, but uh, mm, you're gonna find uh, in the book uh, many different tales, uh, rather than coming from a tribal perspective. We divided the book into chapters based on the all spaces, and there are not all the narrators in those stories come from that uh, specific all space, but uh, the theme and the stories they touch uh, uh, relate to what uh, <laughs> that uh, slice of uh, Luna's blessing and Gaia's blessing uh, lead a werewolf to live his life as. I really like the framing of this book. I. I'm a huge fan of Beckett's Jihad Diary. I ended up writing an entire ridiculously long Storyteller's Vault supplement called Beckett's Vampire Folios to go along with that book. So I spent a lot of time with it. And to see this book for Werewolf really left me going, this is, this is a great framing. One, framing it as the auspices as opposed to doing it from like location or meta plot element or whatever you, there are millions of different ways this book mm. could have been put, put together, but sure. doing it like this re-emphasizes the importance of auspices in werewolf life, which sometimes in the books, I feel like doesn't get relayed particularly well. And it's a very, very well done examination of Garu life, Garu history, Garu now and how all of those things play off of one another. Is there a section, this is an impossible question, is there a section that you're like, hey, this is a part of the book that I'm most uh, appreciative of or I find most engaging or I think fans might be most interested in knowing about? I've got a couple, but I'm going to toss it to both of you to, to ask that question first. I'll, I'll let Michaela go first on this one. Ah, the rough one, I start <laughs> first. Okay. Uh, well, it's difficult to say. I think that the format of the book allows us to jump from location to location really easily from a different situation in the metaphor to another within the same chapter. So I think it's difficult to pick one element that stands out from the others because they're really variegated in many senses. And it's, I think it's one of the strengths of the book that you, one moment you can be in the US and the following history you may be in the, I don't know, in, in Central Europe and dealing with the Margrave or anything within the same chapter. And uh, 
maybe later you can return uh, in a similar location but under a different auspice so on, under a different focus it's i think it weaves really well together and uh, the reason I threw to, to Michele first was because uh, as, as co-developer on this book, I feel that I can't play favourites on any one, one aspect. And um, when Matthew Dawkins and I started putting the outline for this uh, or the pitch for this book, even pre-outline, um, that was around two years ago, we started coming up with this idea. And one of the things which I love as a developer, and you see it on this book, is when you have an idea and a framework, and we came up very early on with we wanted to have the auspices, we didn't want to concentrate on the tribes, they would be part of the auspices themselves. Um, and then you give that to your writers, and they just they hit it out of the park. They have come up with so many wonderful stories, and you have you have standalone narrators in each chapter, you have narrators that reappear across different chapters and bring different perspectives to the story you have you have packs where different elements of the pack are the ones who who present their different stories it all just came together that it is a book that i could read and reread over and over again it is it all comes together i i suppose if i had to pick a favorite bit and I'm going to to wear my my biases on my sleeve I love that we were able to get a bit of focus on the Australian story on the loss of the bunyip uh, which uh, obviously gets a little bit uh, lost downplayed across the the entire canon because traditionally most of our our writers pre-internet were were US based and Australia was just that funny little country down in the the bottom end of the world, whereas uh, it's been part of my goal ever since I, I joined Onyx Path and started writing for them to to kind of put as much Australia in there as I as I could. So I do that unapologetically, um, even though I didn't do it specifically this time. That was up to some of our writers who, who just took that cue and ran with it themselves. Yeah, What I like about that is that some of the framing of the ben Bunyips, uh, some of the failures of the werewolf nation are like, seeded throughout this in a way where everything is woven together kind of around the sense of despair i would say like that is the strongest emotional reaction i had while reading through this i was telling folks earlier before we started recording that i had for the first time i can remember an actual horror reaction reading this book several times there were moments i had to put my digital version of the book aside and say, I can't read this anymore right now because I was feeling uncomfortable and spooked out a little bit. And just having that reaction was for me refreshing one. Mm -hmm. I like horror because it can do that for us. It can make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. It didn't get into a territory where I was like, I can't read this. It's not good. It was a, this is uncomfortable in a way that is good for fiction, making you feel that. Yeah. And that is something we wanted to be able to bring across. Um, like in werewolf, the apocalypse, obviously the guru are our, protagonists they are our heroes but a lot of the time they're also our antagonists they get a lot wrong um, I am a big um, proponent of, of saying that you know to the guru that they are the hammer and every problem is a nail and if they are going to survive this apocalypse if they're going to 
learn from their mistakes and actually try it this time they need to learn how to not just view everything as a nail and i think we've brought a lot of that out in the the stories as well where and it's not just a downer please please let me be clear to, to our listeners on this the book is not just hammering you over the head sorry to keep that metaphor going to say that you know everything is is rubbish but it is an apocalypse it is it is the guru looking and saying well here's what went wrong, what can we do better? Or here's our opportunity. Or there are some occasions where it's just, oh, you know, we have really just put ourselves into the worst possible position here and everything doomed. But because of the structure, and Michaela mentioned it earlier, we've drew on Beckett's Jihad Diary, which kind of has a single narrator trying to collect these stories. But one of the things we had in the outline as well is that the, the guru are a oral tradition. They, they tell stories. They don't necessarily write everything down. And, that, and they're also not immortals. So they have had countless generations of telling stories and things morph over time. And they all have different voices. And one of the things we had in the outline was no objective truths. You know, so nothing that is presented here is necessarily 100% true. It is somebody's perspective. It is somebody who has personal human slash inhuman flaws and perspectives and biases and everything. And they all bring it to the fore. So the reader then gets to look at that and take away what they want from that and what they can get from it. And, and, a, and one group could decide that a given narrator is just full of it and got everything wrong or they may decide that their their thing is Gaia's own truth and that is absolutely what they want to follow the problem leaf mentioned earlier that um, the garu uh, are the, are supposed to be a tool in the arsenal of gaia in the war against the worm and the weaver and the other changing breeds were at least created with other purposes in mind but uh, uh, since all that happened in not in a small part because of the garu themselves the, those tools uh, aren't as available as uh, they were supposed to be, or perhaps they need to work together again, but the Garu need absolutely to find uh, themselves a different role and, uh, and a certain degree of nuance in their approach to the, to the war and to the apocalypse. And uh, I think uh, mm, I had the pleasure of uh, getting to describe some of the Garu Nation failures myself, but uh, I kept a certain attitude in all of my fiction parts. I had the team of uh, Ealing. It's, I made the different stories, but uh, each of them approaches uh, trauma and Ealing in a different way. And at the end, there's not a definitive victory of it, but there's a lot of pain, a lot of damage, but also the hope to do something better, to uh, learn from your mistakes uh, or heal your wounds and uh, go forward. So that's a thing I'll add a lot of uh, fun with. It's something that it's all ac across all my stories, no matter how different they are. And I yeah, think it's... Because it's my, my, if I could step into the setting and yell at the Garu, I would tell them this. Basically, be better, learn, and try to mm -hmm. solve this damn thing. 
And Josh, if I can possibly put the spotlight back on you for a moment, uh, mate, do you recall, and you may not exactly, or any any of the stories that, that did give you pause, and would you care to tell your listeners about any of those? Yeah. So there are a couple. One one thing I really like is the narrator. I'm going to say narrator. There's a, a figure throughout the book, John Northwind, I believe, uh, who is collecting all of these stories because he believes that these oral traditions need to be like locked down, need to be like written down, protected, kept. One of the bizarre, interesting, strange things about the Garu is they are an oral tradition. And even though they've had writing for thousands of years, basically have never written any of their history down. And this is an attempt by him and other people in the nation to get some of those on paper. When I got to the Ragabash chapter, this is where I had to put the book down. There is an, uh, there is a story told from a pair of Black Spiral Dancers perspective. The Black Spiral Dancers get some play throughout this book, but there's a story told from their perspective where there is a pair of dancers attacking a what i believe to be kinfolk uh family and they're attacking a house and i had to while the house described is nothing like my house it was too vividly described in a vague enough way that i could picture it being my house that i had to literally set my phone aside and say i'll i'll get back to that in a couple of minutes because i can't not see some reflection of that Mm -hmm. so that particularly resonated with me and then there's a story where you have a couple of outposts and i believe it's in the amazon where there are these outposts where pentex employees are kind of uh, like manning fences uh, keeping an eye on things in the amazon and that hit really close to home having sat in a watchtower in uh, a country that was not my own and thinking there were threats on the other side of it that uh, really resonated with me in a way that I said, I may never use this as a plot, but to have this as a story that now fits into my world of darkness uh, perspective is that is worth its weight in gold. Like one of the things that I have enjoyed the most in my retrospective review of the werewolf canon is that sometimes you just need a book to remind you what life is like for people in the world of darkness. And then you can take that and go, I'm going to spin my own story based on this emotive experience that I had based off of this fiction. Um, All of that then said, like the other thing that I really enjoyed is lots of little threads of the meta plot tied into this, where there's mentions of uh, of King Albrecht and um, and other figures. The Margrave plays a big role in several sections of this, but not on screen per se. Most of those connections are little ideas and concepts and hints to their importance in the overall story told in apocalyptic record. And I really like that because again, when you're running a game of werewolf, you don't want someone to be like, here are all the NPCs in the setting and they're just going to do stuff in front of you. And you've got to deal with that. 
instead it's an opportunity to be in the world and be really like impacted by that. One of the other sections that I find found really helpful for me was the in the meta plot chapter there is a timeline of of major points in the uh, both the the history of the werewolf uh, of the werewolves and the Vigara nation but also kind of what books they came from and how they tie into the greater story of this book and the rest of uh, of werewolf um, the werewolf line um, I believe Michaela you um, you worked on that section is that right yeah uh one of my chapters was indeed the metaplot chapter so i had to i had the honor to write both the exploration on how to use the metaplot in generally speaking how to weave it into your games and how to perhaps uh, uh, approach the game from a different edition perspective there rather than another and uh, i managed to write uh, this timeline somehow uh, that took uh, uh, quite some effort, but I'm proud of the result. I uh, wrote, uh, read a lot of books, take a lot of notes, and uh, it's impossible to feature all these events of the books into a single timeline uh, that fits how books word count. But uh, I think I managed to make a clear list of uh, several major events uh, 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 that uh, give a clear perspective uh, uh, to readers about what the uh, apocalypse timeline is in one single place, uh, with references if one wants to explore the 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 books themselves. There are some events that are arguably mm, less important than others, but uh, I've included them because uh, I didn't want to have a called the timeline just there. I wanted to give, uh, along the major events, uh, also a list of uh, what is going on for the Garu in their world. And uh, events that might look uh, uh, not uh, as important as others uh, still help to have a full perspective uh, of the world for the Garu and for the Fera, and also for from the perspective of the Wyrm forces as well. And uh, I think it's a neat section. It's a, at the end of the book, it's a perfect way to conclude uh, everything we did before. Yeah, I think it did a really good job of making me go, oh, hey, that point mentioned in the Galliard chapter, that is exactly referencing this. Sometimes while reading this, I went, I think this is from this book. And I think this is from this like section of different stories that are in places, but even having gone through a lot of the werewolf stuff up to the Ananasi book, which is what we're up to right now, there are still moments where I'm like, I've forgotten this because there's so much word count. And so for this book to both do a good job in the fiction sections of tying into that, but then come back with that chapter and say, Hey, this is, where you can dive into to find more about that idea. Perfect. Like, fantastic. That is absolutely what I needed. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And for, for players at their tables to be able to just go and have a, a quick reference to say, oh, I have a vague idea that there's a story I'd like to play and, and be able to go, oh, that's exactly the book I need to go to. Uh, I think it's a great part of the chapter. Apologies, I dropped out very briefly there. 
the dodgy internet. No worries. It happens. And we are talking from across the world to one another. So if there was going to be any internet shenanigans, it was bound to happen here. That is the Mm. weaver. She gets you, you know? (laughs) (laughs) The funny thing is, is I, after having gone back and started rereading from first edition moving forward, it's really clear that the weaver is a more dangerous enemy than even the werewolves really kind of like recognize and it plays it builds on itself builds on itself as an idea until you get to book of the weaver where it's like oh wow the weaver really is like the big bad guy of this setting in a lot of ways and i think apocalyptic record does a good job of tying back into that in some of those later chapters again where it's like hey that weaver plot where that we kind of seeded in earlier books we're kind of re touching on that and letting you know like that danger is still absolutely here in the 21st century and something to be considered if you're going to be running a werewolf game like how you how you play into that yeah and there's a really good story um i think in the galliard chapter i could be misremembering uh, about a, a relatively young guru who uh probably puts a bit too much trust in in some weaver spirits and just interesting. And I think the writer did a really good job of, of where they've begun showing, you know, oh, these are relatively benign spirits out to help us. And then by the end of this kind of story, it's showing the danger of, of blind trust uh, of weaver spirits and, and how their, their perspectives and their wants are definitely not the same as, as the guru. Um, and I think Josh, you made a good point there. I recall coming into Werewolf first edition oh so many years ago and it was it was a little bit black and white with the you know worm bad wild good weaver good and I think one of the things I've appreciated over the many many years of canon is the um the nuance that has been added that that really and this is one of the things that I think the guru need to learn that you need all three and you need them to be balanced. And while they've spent so much time focusing on, oh, let's destroy the worm, they've really not paid attention to the fact that you, you need to redeem the worm back into the force it should be. And how do they achieve that? So That's a really good point. And one of the other stories that really got me in a good way was a Fianna attempting to cleanse or rehabilitate a black spiral dancer that they had captured that story left me really like i was like is this gonna this is not gonna end well this is not gonna end well this is not gonna end well but i was still hopeful reading it going yeah there's a chance here that maybe this guy figures out how to rehabilitate this particular figure and i love redemptive stories for Anyone that is going to listen to our actual play, play a world of rage redemption plays a big part of the story that I'm telling with those players, but man, most of the time it's just not going to work out. And that's, that's a good thing to keep in mind that, that healing is possible, but it's going to be really, really hard. Yeah. And that story is, is one of my favorites as well, because it keeps you in suspense till the very end. You don't know. You 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 have this feeling of of hope in your in your chest as you're reading it. And I don't want to spoil it, even though we probably already have a little bit. But yeah, when when you reach the end, you're just like, oh, really? That's the way it went. So 
yeah, that one tugged at my my strings as well. Yeah. I think one of the things that I have felt throughout this book was that sense of hope, but it doesn't, you don't always get there. And coming from reading the Trinity Continuum books that I'm also spending a lot of time with lately to back to this and going, oh, right. This is the world of darkness. It doesn't mean it's all hopeless. I think that's been said a couple of times by, um, by all of us. But there's definitely a sense of hope is hard. And when you capture that, keep it in a bottle and like and save it. Because those moments are what bring your players back to the table. And this story, the apocalyptic record, does such a good job of saying the the sense of hope is there. Let your players. And I think in the Metaplot chapter, or maybe right at the end of the, the, the Philodox chapter, it really connects to that idea where it's like, make your players central to the story. There's a couple of different ways of doing that. Make sure that they're central. Make sure that they are the ones pushing the lever. You never want to have the major NPC go, everything's fixed. Mm. You want the players to be right in the center of that pushing, changing, fixing whatever it is that they're trying to fix, change, or do, or fail at doing, because even if they fail, that's their failure they get to take ownership of. I spent uh, some uh, digital ink on that in the Metal chapter, so I, I remember that being there as well. Yes, and I think hope is, is vital to have in World Absolutely. of Darkness books. Otherwise, what... Uh, the players even doing it it can be tantalizingly out of reach but you've got to have something to to work for and that's why i think even in towards the end of the the philodox chapter you know we open up the door a little bit and say yeah it's the apocalypse but what does that even mean like is apocalypse the end is this the only apocalypse have we had a bunch before is is there something that if we get through this one that will continue and and i think that's where we leave the book on a, on a feeling of hope as well that yeah, everything might end or everything might be changed, but what comes out the other side? And that is left up to the individual groups and their, their storytellers to, to, to play those games, to, to come out the other side. And, and do you want to play a, a Mad Max-style post-apocalyptic world? Go for it, absolutely. Or do you want to play something where... Yeah, the apocalypse happens, and tomorrow is much like today. <laughs> you know, a, a, a COVID-style kind of apocalypse where life continues, even though it's different and and unfortunate, and no one wants it. But that's that's what we have to deal with—the reality, the new reality. Sorry yeah. to bring that to to reality a little bit there. <laughs> yeah, okay. I think uh, we all drew on uh, what the, how the world changed since the werewolf started even relating to its environmentalist uh, teams and uh, with climate change and everything there's i i know because i um, i feel like this and i know other writers uh, do as well that we drew on the <laughs> let's say let's call it like this that the rage at how the world is going uh, how things seem how often seem uh, out of control so we we wanted to bottle some of that uh, 
will power that conflict and uh, that we may feel looking at the, the world as we live in and uh, put it in a world uh, of darkness like that of the girl. I think that's something that uh, can be seen across the pages as well. But uh, it all ends in uh, a feeling of uh, hope uh, that's worth fighting for. And I think that's a theme that works very well with uh, Werewolf. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to pull on two more things that I found really great about this book. The more I think about it, the more things that I go back to and I'm like, oh, this is cool. This is cool. We've mentioned the idea of cyclical apocalypses. And that was a big theme in Beckett's Jihad Diary was cyclical Gehenna. And I loved it because that gives the the need for millennialism to still be there. That sense of the of impending doom is still there, but you can complete, co constantly recycle it and reuse it. And this book does it hints at that concept again in a way that I found really, really enticing and it's kind of framed around the idea that the werewolves have had multiple apocalypses, yeah. most of them that they caused. <laughs> yes, very much so. And, and again, this was one of the things that that struck me as a reader many years ago. And I wanted to make sure we we talked about a little bit that, um, you know, for, for, say, ancient guru the brainstorm was the apocalypse. You know, nothing was ever going to be the same. No, the world wasn't going to survive. And yet it kept going. And then, you know, the, the wars of the wars of rage, the wars of tears, the, the, yeah, all these wars where they just changed the world and nothing was ever going to be the same, but yet something continues. And, uh, the cyclical apocalypses thing was something I wanted to just leave out there again, as something that people can can play with or not, um, there is an attractiveness in playing Werewolf the Apocalypse to just have the world end in a fiery, you know, doom ball with a great fanged maw just consuming the whole thing. Sure, play that. But there's also a lot to be said for just going, what are we, you know, what are we fighting against? And what does it mean to be guys, warriors, if the next apocalypse happens and then you still come out the other side. And that was something that we, we touched upon or we explored a bit in the uh, Arun chapter that you, you'll recall way back when in, in early uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse, you know, the Amazon rainforest, the war for the Amazon, rage across the Amazon, that was so central to the plot. And then it just kind of moved on. And it's not like the Amazon got better. You know, it's still burning. It's still being deforested. But we wanted to bring a little bit of that real world and say, hey, Guru, what happened? Like, you didn't win. So why aren't you still fighting? Sure. Yeah, what, what happened there? What was, what was the thought process around that? Yeah. I think that, that hook back into the Amazon is great. I am not going to talk about that at all because I want people to read that sure. specifically. And because it's a great way to start diving into the rest of this book. It's a great taste of what you will find throughout it the one thing that i will draw on which is going to sound totally off the wall for anyone that's listened to my podcast the apis storyline in this book is amazing there are lots of little hints to uh, them being really really important and integral to werewolf the apocalypse in a way that you, before you're like i don't you know 
minotaurs, RX shifters, cows. Why are they going to be important? There's little pieces and threads and ideas throughout this that make me go, oh, wow. Like, I, I came away shocked thinking, oh, now I know how to use them in a game, which was fantastic. Like, chef's kiss, kind of amazing. <laughs> well, that is what we want from every reader, whether it's that particular section resonating with them or something else. But we wanted our writers to leave every paragraph and every story just having the reader go, oh, okay, that's what I'm bringing to my game. And then they get to the next bit and they're like, oh, okay, I'm going to bring that to my game. And yeah, the, the book, the book is wonderful, but you almost want the people that the readers to be a little frustrated by the end that there's so much <laughs> that they want to do. And there's only so many games that they have time to play and how do they bring everything together? So I'm, I'm really glad Josh that you're having that reaction because that's exactly what we want. And, and you're our first test audience, I guess. <laughs> yeah, something I enjoy from that part is that um, it explains wha what the app is where for the world. And uh, so um, I think also in the other chapters, we see what the um, issues and the Garu's crimes caused. Uh, see, uh, okay, the Garu killed the whereabouts and what that's led into. There are consequences that resonate through centuries, and uh, was uh, influence is feel uh, is felt right now. Uh, so, uh, just as the apis, the whereabouts, the the grounder, the werebores as well, the all the lost uh, pharaoh races, or the the lost tribes and the fallen tribes, those uh, wounds uh, are there and. Uh, they are festering because of the weir and the weaver, and uh, mm, but the responsibility for those wounds is not oh, always on the great enemies of the Garus. It's often, <laughs> more than sometimes, it's on the Garu themselves. So yeah, I think that's something important to put in a book like this, a book of wide perspectives. Yeah, that uh, self-reflection element one of the interesting notes about um, about book cultures, this is just a thing that I'm going to say off the top of my head, and people can please disagree with me. If you disagree with me, um, send a message, uh, you know, send a Twitter post, whatever. Um, <laughs> book cultures tend to look at books after the fact and see the flaws in them more effectively. Oral cultures, because they often reframe stories, in the now, and we see this, it, book cultures do this too, when you reframe a story in the now, but you can still go back and read the original story. In an oral culture, it's more, it's a little bit easier to obfuscate that because when you're retelling it, you can reframe your story through the now because you're always reframing it through the now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is an interesting thing to see the Garus start to put these stories on paper and or in digital and then say, oh, now we have to reckon with the fact that the story as told is kept forever. We cannot reframe it in the now unless we're completely retelling the story. Calcified by the weaver, but in a sense that can be useful. It is, but it, it, 
I'm really glad again, it sounds like I keep saying this, Josh, you are our perfect audience for this because you're, you're hitting on all the beats that we wanted to put in there. And I'm really glad that resonated with you because absolutely, yes, we've, we've said this is an oral tradition. The guru are telling stories, but someone is now collecting those stories. They're putting them down on paper. They're digitizing. They're learning. This goes back to what I said earlier, that they see everything as a, as a nail because they're a hammer, but, but there is evolution. People are learning. They're saying, hey, we've got to stop just telling and reframing and sometimes editing a little bit to make ourselves not look as bad as what the truth actually was. And so you put it down in black and white, you, you put it down and you spread it out to, to everyone who could read it. And there is a higher level of accountability there that, that the guru have to live with. And um, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. Once again, this was, this was stuff that, that I wanted readers to be able to draw out and I'm really pleased to be hearing that, that, it, that it, it succeeded yeah and the the bad thing the bad thing I don't know if it's bad the thing for me is like I there are so many things that I'm like ooh and ooh and that I and I, we could, I could probably do that all day long because there are little bits and pieces of this that stick with me even while I was reading it I'm like okay read 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 because I was just like I need to get through this book so I have a feeling for it but now that we're talking about it I'm like Ooh, pattern recognition, pack, geomids, um, the Margrave and the Margrave sending young Garu out for things. Like these are, there are all these different plot points that are just kind of seeded in. And as you're reading through it, it's very easy to just kind of read it and be like, oh, that was an interesting story and then walk away. But it's after the fact that you really start going, now I know how to build this into a story. Now I know how to use this in my game. And there are so many tools provided by this book to do that. It's, it's in a, a whole chapter with your metaplot, you know, ch chapter, but it's also at the end of each chapter, there are story hooks for mm -hmm. each auspice that mm -hmm. tie yes. into the stories. I'm a big story hook person. I, I believe hundred percent in Matthew Dawkins's idea of there should be a story hook in at least every paragraph, if not more often, that's absolutely the right way to write. And when you hit that mark so successfully that you have people after the fact going, oh, here is a story that I can use that I just realized from that thing that I read, it, you, you've done it. And I know I'm, I'm singing the praises of this book. And for anyone that's listened to the podcast, you're like, Josh, do you actually like Werewolf? Well, <laughs> this is a book that I can absolutely say I like, I enjoy, it's well done. It does does the right thing by Werewolf the Apocalypse. It's, it looks at it and says, what do we love? What do we hate? How do we use both of those things and tell a good story at the table? So I'm going to just say yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Oh. And it, it is a celebration of Werewolf the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know, we, we certainly are not looking to offend anyone, but there are, there are aspects of guru culture, which are not pretty. And there are some stories that touch on those things, but I hope we've done them in a sensitive way that people uh, resonate with and, and enjoy yeah. and can use them as, as hooks to, to bring more to their games as well. Yeah. It all comes from a place of love <laughs> where, uh, I couldn't believe well, when I got the offer to write on this book and I, uh, I had this list on my actual bucket list of, oh, if I ever get to write on uh, for Werewolf the Apocalypse, I'm going to write about this tribe, this tribe and this tribe. And I managed to do that. And uh, so and I 
can tell to myself, well, Michele, at the end of the day, you're a wealthful apocalypse writer. So that's something. And uh, you mentioned at the end of the chapter seven, us having this uh, story uh, uh, that touch on the main story uh, mm-hmm. of the stories. But uh, as uh, Matthew always says, that to include more story in every paragraph, and I it was basically raised by him as a writer, so I can tell that uh, there's a main story hook that you're gonna see, uh, see at the end of the chapter, but pay attention to basically every line there because uh, there's uh, tiny bits that we couldn't fit at the end, but they are still there to introduce you to a plot or to something. Or maybe oh, there's a name about uh, a person in a paragraph in a book that will remind you, oh, that's what happened to this guy after uh, he wrote that letter in the whole second edition book. So it's all there and uh, it was made for people that approached this book with uh, all the love and the uh, perspective, even critical perspective that comes from being uh, a werewolf fan who loves the universe with all is good and is bad. Yeah, and the story hooks are, are almost like the uh, the crib cheat sheet at the end for for a time-poor storyteller who just wants to flick to the end of a chapter, quickly <laughs> read through the story hooks, go, oh, okay, that's what I want to do tonight. I'll go straight to that story. I'll read that. Because, yeah, the story hooks, as, as McCullough just said, the story hooks are not the only things in there. And when you go and read the stories themselves, you go, oh, wow, there's 10 other things I could be doing here. But, <laughs> but if you're time poor, if you need a need a helping hand, we have helpfully included <laughs> those. Oh, yeah. Stories. So this was what this story was about more often than not. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We, we touched on something that I want to tell my listeners about specifically. This book does an excellent job recognizing the flaws in the line and saying, yes, those flaws exist in the world for the werewolves, but the world can be more progressive and inclusive than it was when some of these books were written. And this book has a broad cast of diverse characters that look critically at the world themselves and say, wow, we could be better. We know that there are some problems in the Black Furies tribe where they are um, turfs, or we know that the Fenrir can sometimes be, uh, you know, (laughs) they can be horrible. And this book looks at that and then says, but your players get to be the heroes and get to fix those things and want should want to fix those things, which again, for anyone that's listened to me for any length of time will know that is the drum that I beat. This book does a very good job of showing that in a really realistic and holistic way. So um, thank you again for that. Wonderful. Um, (laughs) I don't even know what to say in response to that. That is, that is great to hear. Um, We had, we, we specifically went out there and tried to get as many perspectives in our writers as possible. We wanted to, to make sure as, as much as we could, we got away from the, the middle-aged white guy uh, perspective. Um, and, you know, and we encouraged our writers to, to think about, think outside the box, think outside the, the just main 
what we're seeing in the past and, and how it can be presented in new ways. And I think they've done a really good job of that, which I know I've said uh, many times. Um, but yeah, it's, oh, I've lost that train of thought. I apologize. That's all right. Yeah, That's all right. Uh, it was uh, really a pleasure. Obviously, Leif and Matthew gave us guidelines. They said we would like to see this topic uh, covered in the book, but uh, they also gave us a lot of freedom and a lot of trust on how to uh, tell our stories and also tell uh, about what stories to tell in the first place. Uh, and I, that's something I really appreciated. And uh, it was uh, a challenge, uh, but also a pleasure. And there are some uh, things that were difficult to write, uh, but uh, we, I think we all do, did our best and the results are there. So I hope the readers, both Old Werewolves fan and people who might uh, take this book uh, and to approach the game because I, it's a celebration of Werewolf, but I think it's also, it's a little bit of a paradox, but a, a good introduction point because it's a book of mm. stories that also gives you the tools to mm, delve deeper into Werewolf. I, I hope... Uh, they'll see this and uh, be able to experience uh, opportunities we had and the efforts we made to put them into, to turn them into reality. And then, if I may, that's a really good point uh, just made that even though this is the, the capstone of the Werewolf 20th anniversary uh, edition, it's a good book to start with as well. Like I think this is going to be a great book and I hope that we, we attract a lot of people to the Kickstarter um, who use this as their, their first book of Werewolf, you know, or they may have been interested. They may have picked up Werewolf 20, 20th anniversary edition. They may have picked up another book somewhere along the lines, but here is a really good book to say, what are the stories I can tell? What are the stories that are important? And <laughs> going, have a look at the meta plot chapter at the back which books do I want to get next? Um, like this is a really good start and end point for, for a group to, to pick up and jump into Werewolf. Um, so, yeah, this isn't the end uh, from, the, from the player's point of view and from a, a gaming group's point of view. They shouldn't be looking at this book and saying, well, that's me done. Let's pack up Werewolf. I'll have to find something <laughs> else to play now. They should be saying, right, I now have so many more games I can play here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100% agreed. Beckett's Jihad Diary is one of the first books I recommend to new players of Vampire the Masquerade because I'm like, read one chapter, read half of a chapter, and you'll get a good feel for how this game views itself and how you can experience it. Mm -hmm. I 100% recommend the apocalyptic record for someone that's like, I'm not sure what Werewolf's about. You can literally hand them a couple of printed out pages of this book when you get it and <laughs> give that to a player and say, read this to just get a feel for the way the world works. And it, it absolutely does provide that entry pathway into the game. Um, so thank you both for mentioning that because I think it's absolutely true. I think at this point we could probably talk. I know I could talk about this book for about three or four more hours, but <laughs> I am going to be respectful of both of your times and say thank you very much for joining me to talk about it. And for folks that 
want to find out more. This is out on Kickstarter right now. Hopefully it's made a billion dollars, but I don't know, you know, however much it makes, it deserves <laughs> to make every dollar. And um, is there any like parting thoughts maybe about where people can find you if they're interested in talking to you more or anything else that you want to promote or talk about or say before we, uh, before we wrap things up? Uh, from from my perspective, uh, if anyone wants to reach out to me, they'll often find me lurking on the uh, Onyx Path forums or any of the Onyx Path discords or various fan discords. I'm I'm very keen to chat, throw in my two cents worth and, and my opinions. Um, so just pop in and say where the hell's Leith, and and I'll be sure to spot you and, and chime in. Uh, in terms of other works that I would also point people to not wanting to take anything away from werewolf. Uh, obviously I write and develop on the Trinity continuum line as well a lot. And Josh, you already introduced that a little bit. Um, so if people do decide they want to move into something that's not horror for, for just a little while, and then you know, make sure they keep playing werewolf as well, uh, please come along and, and try out Trinity continuum, Aeon, Aberrant, Adventure, Ether, Anima, all the other A's that are, that are coming along your way. <laughs> well, uh, I'm also, I also own the, the Onyx Path Forum and the Onyx Path Video Discord, so you'll be able to find me there as well. And, uh, as for other things to promote, uh, I wrote on They Came From Classified. I'm one of the developers, of, uh, along with Matthew, of uh, They Came From the Cyclops Escape. It's uh, our love letter to fantasy movies, uh, like uh, from Conan to Xena and everything. So that's also a thing that will happen in the future. And uh, I would love if you would <laughs> give it a look when that happens. Uh, and I'm absolutely looking forward to reading they came from beyond the cyclones cave cyclops cave because the sheer enthusiasm you post about it i can i can just imagine hearing yeah I, I never shut up about that <laughs> yeah it's uh let's just say that becoming a onyx path writer was uh, a dream of mine writing for werewolf was a dream of mine and uh, also now being a developer uh, it's uh a great thing I'm really enthusiastic about. So the show's way too much, I know. <laughs> oh, good on you. I, uh, as a person who have, has done all of these things as well, I understand when you when you see the book that you have taken from outline to mm -hmm. in your hand, it is such a blissful experience to have that moment. Um, and when you get there, you, trust me, you it will be amazing. Um, I agree People should go and check out the Trinity Continuum and uh, they came from and those series of books, they are both story path games and I am a huge fan of the story path system. I don't think it'll be out by the time this recording goes out, but I am going to tease folks that I am uh, starting a Trinity Continuum podcast with a few folks. So if you are interested in the Trinity Continuum and my end cast episodes that I have done in the past, uh, you'll get to experience more of that through that specific feed. Um, and if you're interested in Werewolf, please come by the Patreon, join our Patreon so you can get invited to our Discord. Or if you just want to follow us on Twitter or Facebook or any of those awesome places, please leave me a message. Don't leave me a message on Podbean. I can't respond to it. I know I keep saying that, but people keep leaving messages there and I can't do anything about it. I just want to say thank you, Leith and Michaela. Uh, I appreciate both of you and uh, I really hope people 
go and check out the apocalyptic record. So until we finally get an answer to the question, when will you rage? I'll talk to you all again next time. Thank you very much, Josh. It's been Thank a you for having us. <laughs>